C3, Connecting Coaches Cognition, Coaching with Courtney and Christensen. As a busy coach, you spend all day refueling, revamping, and reflecting with educators. Now is the time to stop and recharge your batteries with some much-needed coaching for the coach. Welcome back to another episode of C3. I'm Courtney Groskin, and I'm here with Violet Christensen. Violet, what's new in your world? Well, today's kind of a momentous day. We, um, I actually have both of my kids starting school today, so they are not in the same physical classroom as their teachers. They are actually down the hall in um, wrap care, but they are able to learn from both of their teachers virtually this morning and be able to join them for meetings and direct instruction and then do some asynchronous learning. So we were trying to get there last week, but um, we had a delayed start to pre-K with my littlest. So they both got to enjoy their own first day and we're just trying to settle into this, what this new routine might look like. How are you doing, Courtney? What's going on with you? Good. This is your, their first year in their same school together, right? Yeah. So it was a big deal um, getting my littlest even potty trained so she could go to big girl school. And so I'm really grateful that they can be on site and be together in the same room. And um, my older daughter can show my younger daughter how to get this online learning started. That's awesome. Yeah. It's it's a whole new rodeo, but we're doing the best we can, right? Exactly. How, how are you doing? How's Pickles adjusting to you being at work now? She's doing a good, I think she had a sense of relief of like, oh, I can sleep all day again um, now that I'm by myself in the house. So, so far, so good. Trying to spoil her each day with a new treat or a frozen uh, Kong has been a lifesaver for her. And I mean, the wildfire smoke has just put a damper on where we're able to go and get out during the weekends. But hopefully we can get back to hiking some of the beautiful trails around here once all these wildfires end. They're so horrible. I know that's, that's what really delayed our start is my daughter had that runny nose. We couldn't go with the runny nose. So we had to get it under control first. Um, I hope you and Pickles will be out hiking here before we know it. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I, my heart goes out to the people who are losing their homes and land to the fires, but it's definitely tough on the uh, allergies with all the smoke that's blown into Boulder County. Absolutely. I think anything we can do for those firefighters, I even heard um, one of my sites is writing letters to put in with their packed lunches. And I thought, like, what a cool, fun thing that kids can authentically do to kind of help the situation in this world right now. Yeah, definitely. Well, Courtney, I know that you have been really intentional as you've gone into this year. Um, We all know we're in a bit of the Wild West in COVID land right now, but as you've gone into coaching this year, how do you think it's going or how are you feeling about things? It's been a really interesting re-entry, uh, not being able to physically be in the same space as teachers. You know, often you start out the year walking the halls and building those relationships. Hey, you need me to hold your bulletin board while you staple it. And in the midst of doing that, you know, you have a casual coaching conversation. So it's really hard. Um, I feel like I'm at a bit of a disadvantage not physically being there. But things like leaving my WebEx room open for people to pop in and out, using um, the Google Chat feature to kind of get the temperature on buildings and check in with some key people, and really relying on that principal coach relationship of, you know, who's struggling right now, who needs some extra support, who's killing it, and, you know, can we use it as a model and get some examples from um, to pass on to staff. So really just thinking about 
different entry points in a virtual way. So you're being very mindful in how to keep those open lines of communication, despite the fact that they look different this year. Exactly. What decisions have you intentionally made in order to help make this as as successful as possible? I heard some of that through leveraging your principal or leaving your WebEx open. What have you found the most success with thus far? Really just staying in, you know, looking at the role of how am I going to coach? Am I going to provide coaching? Am I going to consult? And I feel like right now, teachers need a lot of consulting. They just need answers to get their classroom up and running. What's the best way to deliver the instruction to students? Um, So, you know, in the past, I might have made them coach it out a little longer before I went into coaching, into consulting. But right now, I'm really defaulting back to that consulting and getting them what they need so they can get moving. So you're willing to flex back to that consultant knowing that if you are able to leverage that now, you might be able to have some deeper coaching moments moving forward. Yeah, I know in the long term, that's not sustainable and best for educators, but I feel like they're in crisis in the moment, um, whether it be getting families connected or getting a student on or not being sure of how to best deliver content. So right now, they need answers fast. And once they get their classrooms up and running and their uh, comfort level increases, then they'll be able to go into those deeper dive of a coaching conversation. So you're really honoring meeting them where they are right now and plugging some of those holes. Definitely. And what effect do you feel like those decisions have had on the results you've achieved? I think teachers are more willing to reach out because they know it's an area of support um, that they can have a think partner right away. And it's not going to be this long, you know, uh, conversation. It's going to be quick answers. And, you know, I'm hearing definitely from a lot more educators on a regular basis than maybe I normally would uh, during a regular school year. So you might be getting shorter, smaller chunks, but you're getting it with more people. So you're being able to leverage at your site more readily. Yeah. And they're coming back for more. It's not a one and done. Yeah. You love when they're coming back for more. And along that, what do you want to remain mindful of as you move forward with these people and these educators? Just that coaching is my default. Um, we're in crisis mode a bit, so we're defaulting to consulting, but in the end, really having those deep, meaningful coaching conversations to shift cognition is my main goal. Um, so really, you know, keeping that in my back pocket and not losing that identity, um, that I've worked really hard to develop of being that coach. So you're really looking at it through the lens of consulting, but then also what coaching can I truly get in there in this moment, no matter how long or short that time span might be. Mm Mm-hmm. So how might you ensure that you maintain that focus around continuing the coaching, even in the midst of consulting? I think as, you know, instruction grows, we're going to have data to look at and, you know, some of those hard and fast black and white things that we can bring in. Um, And data is a great place to start off with a coaching conversation. So I think really looking at student data, that formative assessment piece that so many teachers are building into their uh, virtual course is going to be important. So you're going to start with that data in mind in order to kind of meet them where they are and be able to keep it grounded in some coaching. Yes. So tell me, how did this conversation help you as you're moving forward into more coaching this fall? Really, you know, just reminding myself to not lose the identity. I've gone through the training of 
cognitive coaching and dedicated a lot of time to developing my practice of coaching. And, you know, I kind of feel like that pause button's been hit to meet needs, but in the long game, we've got to keep that identity of a coach and continue that deep coaching relationship. So you want to keep coaching at the core at all times? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Last year, the learning coaches spent a great deal of time learning about student-centered coaching and reading student-centered coaching and student-centered coaching the moves. We are thrilled to have Diane Sweeney join us on C3 today. Diane has been an author and educational consultant since 1999. She's the author of The Essential Guide for Student-Centered Coaching, Leading Student-Centered Coaching, Student-Centered Coaching, The Moves, and after teaching and coaching in the Denver Public Schools, Diane served as a program officer at the Public Education and Business Coalition in Denver. Since then, she has become a respected voice in the field of coaching and professional development. Welcome, Diane. We are so excited to have you here today. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. At school is starting. Um, you know, we're all trying to adjust and, and create conditions for students to come back and learn. So I'm excited to see how all that looks in the next few months. Well, we are thrilled to be able to dive in and pick your brain around a lot of those concepts and how we can have our best application in this time. Um, we wanted to start with getting just a little background about you and your road in education, and if you can tell us about your start in coaching. Sure. I started teaching first at Harrington Elementary here in Denver Public Schools, and I was lucky because my school had a partnership with a nonprofit that does work in literacy support, um, the Public Education and Business Coalition. And so I got coaching before coaching was even a thing. And the lucky thing about that was that I, I got, I started to really very early in my teaching career value having a thinking partner and having somebody to run ideas by and kind of calm myself down and, and make some hopefully smart decisions. I was pretty overwhelmed as a first year teacher and this support came in fairly quickly. So that, I guess my first exposure to coaching was being coached. And then my school converted some positions to become literacy coaching and math coaching positions. And I jumped at the chance to be a literacy coach because I had seen the value of it as a teacher. And so that was during the reading first era. So I was coaching all kinds of implementation of, um, you know, guided reading and reading comprehension strategies and getting good text into kids' hands. And I ended up coaching across four schools that um, were all in Northeast Denver. And um, it was just fun because I got to partner with different principals and work across different schools. And um, so, yeah, so it all just really started for me in the classroom. That seems to be a common theme, people having good coaches that inspire them to then go into coaching. Yes, definitely. And I love how you start with your thought of a coach started with a thinking partner and how powerful that is in this moment and always in order to be reflective and enhance your practices. Yes, yes. I think teaching can be inherently isolating. Um, I think we all want to be perfect and do right by our students. And uh, when it's as intense as it is and there's so much at stake, I think having somebody to think with just gives you a sense of peace and it gives you that feeling of um, that, you know, you have that capacity. It's really collective efficacy in action. Totally. What is your metaphor for coaching? Well, I've been thinking a lot lately and over the past few years about the principal's role in supporting coaching. And 
we just have learned over the years, we support coaches globally, you know, all over the U.S. and, and overseas. And we've just seen such a predictable pattern that coaches struggle when they don't have a partner in their principal and they're not on the same page and their principal doesn't lead the effort, not just support the effort, but lead the effort. So I think I'd give you the, the metaphor of the Avengers, that a coach and a principal and um, truly it's a team effort. You can't have a superhero leading a school and then just delegate all things that are left to a coach and, and not really collaborate intentionally. Oh, that's the perfect metaphor that resonates so much with me. <laughs> I can thank my co-author. I wrote a um, book up leading student-centered coaching with Ann Mosbach. She's a district leader from, from Nebraska, and she, she's the one that came up with that. So I'll have to give her a little shout out. <laughs> Please give her props from us. I know I have a couple principals who are just like putting their hands in the air so excited right now when they get to hear that sentiment of us being the Avengers team together. What Like, mm -hmm. just amazing what you can be able to produce with that. It's beautiful. Yeah. Diane, I, I, um, I know we have studied your work extensively here in our district and we're really embracing the student-centered coaching model and we have dived, dove really deep into your work, but I know not all of our listeners are familiar. So can you give us a little bit of an explanation of student-centered coaching, that model and how it benefits both the students and the teacher and the coach, honestly? Yeah. Yeah. Well, from those days early on in my coaching work, I realized a lot of my work as a coach was very teacher-centered in the sense that I was always focusing on what the teacher was or wasn't doing. And then I was trying to come up with some wicked great questioning to try to get them to where I wanted them to be. And it, it started to, to, I could see a real um, situation where I was working very successfully with one group of teachers in my school, and then others just wanted nothing to do with me. And so it was kind of the great divide and I couldn't figure out any strategies to bridge that. So then one time I had a conversation with a district leader in Denver and, and she said, but Diane, what about the kids? And I had been so busy thinking and talking about the adults that I kind of felt a little caught and a little exposed when that question was asked. And I, I said, oh my gosh, Debbie, I hadn't really been thinking <laughs> kids. And so I drove home that day from that, that conversation, which by the way, she recently said she doesn't even remember, but it literally set me on the course of developing this coaching model because I drove home that day and I realized that I hadn't been thinking about the students and I had to change that immediately. And so what I did is I went into all of my practices I was using, the questions, the logs, the processes as a coach, all of my systems. And I thought, I, I looked at it through the lens of what about the kids? And so that's what led to student-centered coaching. So it is totally designed with the kids at the center. So we really, it was kind of funny because at the time I was also involved in a lot of professional learning around um, backward design. And so that work then, it started to kind of merge into my coaching questions I was having. And I was able to think, well, coaching really could be backward design. Coaching could be about what's our goal for kids, which is how we operate. We set a goal for students that's standards-based. So it's not what's the teacher going to do. It's what are the kids going to learn. That's what we coach into. So that is a completely different conversation for a coach and teacher to have than the traditional, more common, which is widespread, which is much more of a 
corrective, evaluative approach to coaching that's about kind of correcting behaviors by teachers. So, um, so our model is really about setting goals that are very much content or academically focused and then working side by side with teachers to support them to get there. So it's, we'll partner with a teacher through a whole unit of study typically, that would be our coaching cycle. So when our coaching cycle starts with the unit begins, and let's say you're working on writing an essay, then you work side by side and you, you see it through all the way to the end with the idea that all students, we hope, because we're an equity-driven organization too, that all students will be able to reach that standard of, of writing an essay by the end and that the teacher and coach work, at, work together on that the whole way. So it's a little bit different approach for sure um, when you put the students, kind of when you think about it as a backward design process and the students are really our end game for sure. There's so much power in putting the students at the heart of it. And I really always hold on to that message that you have of side by side with the teacher. When I was reading that, it physically made me think, gosh, like where am I even sitting in the classroom when I'm meeting with the teacher? And when we put that focus on the students, even when we ask to do video recordings and it's just on the students, it's amazing how the inhibition is lowered and the efficacy is rising up in that teacher because it's not all on them. It's it's just, it, it's mind blowing when I was reading your work. So I so appreciate it. Oh. Well, and the, the efficacy of the teacher always is going to improve if they're doing right by their students. So I do want to point that out is that we, we impact teaching practice too. It's not like that's no longer a part of the conversation. It's, well, if we have to teach ratios and we want to get our kids engaged in more dialogue in this classroom so they're actively engaged as learners, what's that, you know, what are our practices that we can draw from and that we can do together? So instruction, efficacy of the teacher improves as well. I don't want to make it sound like that's not a part of it all. Oh, definitely. I mean, we've had the opportunity to witness that firsthand when we started using your model last year. That's what makes it so powerful. I know you touched on, you know, teachers are resistant sometimes when a coach comes in. Using your model, how do you get true teacher buy-in? You know, when you start a conversation as a coach with what do you want your students to know and do, buy-in comes a lot more gracefully. It's a much less uh, awkward conversation. So I think that's one way we get buy-in as we always start there. Um, I think that also these days, and if I could just speak to the virtual learning world we're all living in and kind of the role of a coach in that world is we, we spent the spring just surviving. Um, and we were in a situation where I'm just going to be kind of honest learning Student learning wasn't really the focus of, I mean, when you stop grading and you stop assessing and all, it was really just about kind of holding, <laughs> holding life together. So when we start this school year, which is beginning in so many places, I think we have to be driven by a question of, are my students learning to the level that they need to be learning? And if we don't put that front and center in all of our school systems, I, I worry about our students. You know, and I, I have two teenagers. I sure hope their teachers are, that's the driving question for them. Are my students learning? And if not, what am I gonna do to adjust and to push, push them into that space? So um, I think when it comes then to buy-in, that's a great way to, to get buy-in, is just to, to say to a teacher, 
we're all worried about are our students learning? There's no teacher on the planet who isn't. So let's let's go there together as a coach and teacher partnership. I love hearing in your coach and teacher partnership that they're really trying to build in together and that they're going to be able to come out of this together on the other end, both stronger. Like it always is elevating us when it's elevating them. And I, I, I think you've touched on this, but can you give us a little bit more depth into in COVID land in which we lived currently and in the um, world of launching into schools, whether it be hybrid or virtual or synchronous, asynchronous, how do you envision transferring that student-centered coaching model into a virtual environment? Do you have any tips or suggestions in order to keep it as robust as is humanly possible? I love that word robust. That's one of my favorite words. Um, yes, we're thinking a lot about that on our team, obviously. And there's, you know, we're trying to really think about what stays the same and what has to adjust because we don't have to throw out everything and say coaching is all different now. I think one thing in the COVID era we have to be kind of careful about is making sure coaches' work isn't watered down so much that it's only resource providing. And that, and again, that's a lot of what we did in the spring out of sheer survival. And I just think that that's a dangerous place for a coaching program to be if coaches are just that resource provider for too long. Early in the year, sure, but let's get into deep and intentional work um, quickly because we got to make sure our kids are learning. So the, um, I guess the practices that we find that will stay the same are goal setting is going to stay the same. We're still going to set goals for that our student that are, you know, academically focused, curriculum focused. Um, I think even more important is a part of our coaching cycle process that it comes straight after the goal setting and it's getting clear with a success criteria. So establishing some learning targets. So if our goal is to write an essay, then what does that involve for kids? What do kids have to know and do then to say they did, they could write an essay? So we lean a lot on the work of Visible Learning, Kara Vandis's book, um, Clarity for Learning. And she does a great job with John Almerode really framing out how to build success criteria for students that are very much about them using it. Because the reality is, is in a distance learning environment, kids work far more independently than they ever have in their lives. So when you have kids sitting at home doing half of their work and then Zooming for half of their work, which is the, the model here in Denver, well, then kids are going to have to know the roadmap. They're going to need that success criteria more than ever. And so a big piece of our coaching work is to set your goal that's student-focused, but then then break that goal down. What does that mean? And putting it into student-friendly terms. So a second grader knows what it is or, you know, and it's typically the focus of the unit is what your goal would be. So those things are all the same, if not more important. Um, the thing, the area that really is going to change is going to be co-planning and co-teaching, obviously. So that's the bulk of our coaching cycle. And so when we co-plan and we co-teach, we just have to learn how to do it virtually. So we have to figure out what student evidence, because we always use student evidence to ground our co-planning conversations. So then what student evidence is going to tell us the story of what kids know and, and what's going to be open-ended enough. We always look for student evidence that has the quality of really good formative assessments. We don't tend to use data and spreadsheets. We'll look with kids for assessment. We're going to have to look at flip grids. 
or maybe we'll have to do Padlets or we'll have to think really carefully about how to use a Google form that will, that will surface where kids are and surface gaps so that we can act on those gaps. So I think the ev student evidence we're going to use will be different. Co-planning might be like our conversation right now. We might not be in the same spot, but, um, and then co-teaching, what we're recommending to coaches is to join whatever LMS classroom is being taught. So if it's Google Classroom and you're working with that teacher, just be added into that ecosystem, be added into that group and you can monitor student responses, you can listen in, you can be uh, you can be in the classroom by being added to whatever, you know, Schoology or whatever it is. Um, and so it's just going to require a little bit of creative thinking, but it's it shouldn't feel terribly different. And we don't want to give any of those elements up because those are really where we're able to support teachers to move their students. We're changing the way we're delivering content, but we can't throw out those best practices that guide our instruction and guide our coaching. We really need to remember what worked in the real classroom and then thinking of how we can translate that into the digital space. And, and that also makes me think, thank you for saying that, because that makes me think too about what kind of work are we asking kids to do? That's a biggie right? If we don't want mm -hmm. busy work that doesn't, doesn't stretch them at all. So I think co-planning has to really take a close look at, is this work the right work for kids to be doing? And if it isn't, then a coach has to be able to help a teacher move towards more rigorous, um, you know, open-ended type work that's, that's more quality. So kids are doing, spending time on the right thing. Absolutely. And I think there's also such a value in what you're talking about of we need to tweak our work and pivot and shift in order to make it work the same way we're asking educators to do it. And we're living that we're living in the muck with them and adapting with them to the new ecosystem, as you said. Yeah, for sure. So I know you mentioned um, using Google surveys and things. How do you envision effectively collecting accurate student data in a remote learning environment? It's funny, my team is hot on the trail of this because we're, we are big advocates of sorting sessions. And if you've read anything about student-centered coaching, and I think this is something teachers could do without a coach for sure, but to take like a stack of exit slips that were or one really rigorous word problem kids went at, kids solved. And it could be that you have a stack of math journals or you know, tangible work. That's the stuff that we then lay out on the table in front of us and we would sort it and we'd say, what are the trends we're seeing? And these are, this is our success criteria sitting next to that. This is the actual work kids just did. Um, so where the, what's cool, what's surprising, what are we seeing? And then we would plan our, our next lesson or two based on that. So how do you do that digitally, right? How yeah. do you actually take stock right, in a whole class of kids? Because mm -hmm. one thing I do want to mention is that I keep connecting back to the equity work, but it's a big equity practice to say, well, our goal is to get all kids to reach that success criteria. So we can't just focus on a few kids. We have to look at all kids. Um, and so when we're looking at the whole classroom and we're saying, oh my gosh, what are the patterns and trends in here? And what are we seeing this student doing that needs some support? Or how can we regroup or do small groups or differentiate? This is all how it's looked in the past. So I'm not going to act like I know because school is just starting. But I do know that my team is ready to um, develop. I have a couple of people on my team who are actually 
part-time coach. They're coaching in schools. One of them works in Brighton here in Colorado as a math coach and another in Missouri as a literacy coach in elementary. They're, they're going to try to figure out how to, how to do a sorting process where you're really taking stock um, digitally. And so we'll, we'll let you know how that goes. I think the apps and all of that is pretty obvious. You can use Flipgrid, you can use Padlet, you can use Google. I mean, there's, there's plenty of resources from a tech perspective where you can gather student evidence. The trick is to interpret it and act on it. That's really where we have to help teachers. It's really leveraging those tech tools and then looking at it from the holistic approach of where are we, yeah. where do we need to go, and how are we going to move the students there? Exactly. Yep. Maybe tomorrow we do a small groups we hadn't planned to do because we see that these kiddos I'm retelling are not hitting this this part of the success criteria. And these are. And so you might have to then think, oh, my goodness, then maybe do we just Zoom with five out of our, you know, 18 students and somehow create that condition for differentiating? I mean, it's just it's going to be really interesting to see how it all looks. Configuring those feedback loops and the formative assessments and all of that is going to be so interesting to see how it navigates. And I will stay tuned because I want to hear what they come up with. So make sure you okay. send it our way and <laughs> when they have some perfect solutions, at least quasi. Yeah, well, you guys can try. Know. You guys can come up with some and let me know. How about that? Absolutely. We'll <laughs> stay in contact. We'll build a bridge yeah. here. <laughs> yes, I love it. And along those lines of intentionality, when we're talking about with our students, we also wanted to pick your brain about that intentionality with administrators and principals of how might you help shift a principal's thinking to accept a student-focused goal or a student-focused model rather than a teacher-centric goal or a centric model? I, it's a great question. And, you know, it's so common, I think, for us to conflate evaluation and coaching. And I think principals live in the world of so much evaluation and in my experience, I mean, I have one narrow person's experience. Evaluation didn't really move me uh, in my practice. It was something I had to do. It stressed me out. I tried to do it well. Um, I always felt a little bit unsure after the post-conference. I just, there. so I, I just think we can't think of them as the same thing. And so um, we advocate for principles we like to kind of we like to think about the Fullen work where he talks about pressure and support, and um, when he talks about that, he talks about healthy pressure and health and you know high quality support. And so I think when you think about a principal being the person who's there to provide that high quality, helpful, supportive pressure, um, then. That's their lane. And so then they have to think, okay, a coach then is on the other side of this conversation, which is providing the support. And Fullen makes a very good argument that this is required for change and that you can't, you won't get there without both of these two conditions. So I guess we talk very honestly with principals about don't let coaches be quasi-administrators. Don't let coaches do engage in processes like um, let's say, uh, walking around, doing walkthroughs with checklists, because that is more of an evaluation structure. So what you do is you throw out your whole, all of the potential of your coaching program by asking or being okay with coaches behaving as if they're evaluators. Um, so I guess one thing when I think about trying to help a principal shift towards 
really um, seeing the value of student-centered coaching is, first of all, just getting clear on roles, which we just were talking about. But then the other piece I think that we have to do is coaches always have to be measuring their impact. And a principal will feel a lot more and will trust the process if they're seeing growth, right? And so we do a pre and a post assessment when we start and end a coaching cycle that is student, a student assessment, but also looking at where the t- instruction is. So we, get to, we walk away from coaching knowing how the kids grow, how the teacher grow, and that is quantified. So it's, it's anecdotal to some degree, but it's quantified also. So we can walk away and we can say, okay, 80% of our kids reached the success criteria. There's four students who haven't. We have a plan for those four students. And so I think principals, if they start seeing, oh, it is really moving kids and teachers, then they're going to be much more comfortable with the process. Um, So I guess that's one big thing. And then I think also it's just celebrating. So we like to invite principals into those if, you know, if if it's appropriate in the school culture is in in a great scenario, you can include a principal in an end of coaching cycle conversation where you're identifying the growth that happened. And then you really want that principal to share the growth. And we just, if, if a principal doesn't believe in student-centered coaching, you're going to get cross-purposed very quickly. And you'll have coaches who just can't get into classrooms, who can't get in to, can't get work going with teachers. So it's just back to the Avengers. I think everybody has to kind of say, this is our, this is our work and we're going to, we're going to really advocate for it and, and, and not just accept it, but, but advocate for it. When a principal truly understands that coaching model and believes in it, it's unbelievable the partnership in which you can build to support that educator and really have that ebb and flow for them to have multiple scaffolds for success. Like, what a beautiful utopian coaching experience. We've spoke about that earlier in some other episodes when we actually interviewed like Betsy Ball, a principal, and how she was a coach. She embraces it, understands it, and therefore is able to really empower the coaches within her site. Yeah. Yeah. And when I worked across, I was coaching across four schools in Denver years and years ago, I had some great working relationships with, I'd say out of the four, two of them were great, maybe three. One, it was like, I couldn't, I couldn't land anything as a coach in that school. And it's just what a terrible waste of resources. And also just how you're diminishing that coach if you're not supporting them to do good work. You're just, you're, these are people who want to be successful and they're not getting the chance. And it's, it's really hard to see. Yeah. The end goal for every coach is to elevate the practice for the teacher, which in turn helps the students. So, you know, having a principal on our side, we're all working for the same goal here. And that's to make Absolutely. everything better. Yes. Yes. So true. And I think it's that view of we're not trying to plug a hole. We're trying to elevate across the board in order to have longevity in that. I feel sometimes mm-hmm. we're, we're seen as hole pluggers. And if we can really look at growth, you know, growth enhancers, that's a better way to see it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Can you tell us and walk us through a rose and a thorn example of coaching cycles? Ooh, that's a good one. Personally, a couple examples that come to mind. Um, a thorn, we just wrote about in our the very beginning of our new book, um, The Essential Guide for Student-Centered Coaching. And the thorn was when we were working in a Navajo reservation, my co-author and I, Leanna Harris. So we were flying down to Four Corners, um, down kind of where Thelma and Louise was filmed, you know, out there in Monument Valley. 
and the poverty was extreme. Uh, I've never seen anything like it. And um, we were trying to, to work really, we were, we were just trying to be, I guess, as open-minded and just come in. But here we're coming from Denver. I mean, just the way, the look is a bad look. But what happened is the teachers made a decision very quickly that they wanted very little to do with us. And so we flew down there and we were, we kind of, we were literacy coaches that were, you know, they didn't have the resources, so they brought us in. And every single teacher we were there to work with called in sick for two oh days. What? <laughs> so oh. Leanna and I sat in the teacher's lounge waiting for um, the flight home. <laughs> and we just really talked about like what we're doing isn't working. And so we realized that the principal had, he was a great, well-intentioned, kind man but he had decided who we were gonna work with and the people he decided we were gonna work with were all of his most failing teachers. So who wants to be in that club? You know, we, we, we always tell principals, everyone should be in and out of coaching throughout a school year, not just the strugglers. Because what that does is it just makes it into a remediation and it marginalizes people. And so here we are thinking, oh, we're, you know, we have all these great ideas and they're like, no, thank you. I don't want anything to do with this. So that's the thorn. I think that's another one of those experiences I've had over my 20 something years in education that really changed the way I thought about my work and, and stuck with me in a good way. It wasn't easy to experience at the time, but it, it was a good thing in the end. So that's a thorn, I suppose, a good thorn, a growth, growth opportunity. A rose, I think, is when, um, so now that I support coaches, a rose is more about them. And I just think when coaching is going well, it is fierce. And so when I get to see, I, I look at my job as being all about helping coaches be successful and feel confident and feel like they can work. This is something they can do, right? It's accessible. It's easy. It's, there's a, system. There's a process. Like I can do this. Like that's a big piece of what I, I try to build the efficacy among coaches. And so when I arose for me would be any day when I encounter a coach who feels empowered and who can say, this is, this is working. This, and I, I get messages all the time from coaches like that and they just make my day. So I guess that would be a rose. I mean, we feed off of each other too. You just, someone will come back from a coaching situation and it gives us such energy too. Yes. And then you're coaching about the coaching and meta coaching about the coaching. So we're really deep reflective processing now, right? I know. And we're lucky because we get to work with the best people on the planet. Educators, but in their nature, are fabulous people. So I don't think it's that there's any lot any downside here. One hundred percent. And I I'm fortunate enough to have, I started my teaching career with a coach full time in my building. So I didn't understand a world without coaching. And then when I had to transfer to a site that didn't have a coach full-time, I felt almost paralyzed without having that thought partner, as you referenced in the beginning. And I just love your sentiment of everyone should be coaching. If we just create this culture of it's not elevating because we have to, but it's elevating because we all want to get better and raise the bar. Like, what a beautiful educational world. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool to see. Oh, you have brought such mu so much energy and vigor to this 
interview. I so appreciate you, Diane. And I am wondering, we're going to move into this rapid fire question since we've stolen so much of your time. So we'll do quick questions in about 30 seconds or less. And the first one is, what is your tagline or bumper sticker for coaching? That's easy. I'd say coaching is about student learning, not about fixing teachers. Oh, that one just hits you straight in the heart. And it's just like, yes, that is right. <laughs> there are so many things you have brought to light that I am so excited to share with our listeners. And last question for you, you know, teed up here at the end. And you already kind of referenced some superpowers, which is awesome. So what is your secret coaching superpower or your go-to move? I think using student evidence uh, as the lead kind of mechanism for any decision we make for, for what we do in a classroom. And that's when I was shifting to student-centered coaching, that was the first thing I started doing is just, I need to look, I don't want to just think, what's the next lesson? But I want to look at the student evidence and let that be the driver. So I think that would be my, my go-to move. That intentional lens to look through all points of your day is just going to be really powerful for us to take with us and to be able to put it in our own lens and our own mind frame moving forward. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time, for your insights. And we hope that we can stay in contact and continue to problem solve this virtual coaching world together. Sounds good. I've really enjoyed our time. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you Thank so you much. Have a great day. Diane Sweeney brought so much energy to the conversation around student-centered coaching. She's reminded us that students need to be at the center. A great question to ask is, are my students learning to the level that they need to be learning? If not, what am I going to do to adjust and push them into that space? Thanks for listening to another episode of C3, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at C3Coaches. C3, connecting, coaches, cognition. Whose thinking will you mediate today?